this man be a snare to us let the men go that they may serve the lord their god do you not yet know that egypt is destroyed see now pharaoh's counselors like pharaoh what are you doing and i'll be honest when your non-christian friends are come calling you out on your sin you know that you're in a bad spot when someone who doesn't know the lord is just like what are you doing you need to catch that you need to catch that Do you have a story of faith? Maybe you've been a believer for a long time, or perhaps you're in the beginning of a relationship with God. Whatever the case, all those stories are worth telling. God tells Moses to share the stories of the Hebrews' experience in Egypt with the generations to come. As we'll continue to hear, it's a testimony of adversity, hope, and redemption. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with his continued study entitled, The Plagues. about setting the children of Israel free. It's also about God revealing who he is. And the Egyptians are starting to learn. They're starting to see this God of the Hebrews is not someone to mess around with. If they would have feared his word, then they would have been blessed. If they not, they suffered loss. So look what happens in verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven and there will be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail, and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt. All that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder shall will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in its head and the flax was in its bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck. For they are late crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken to Moses." 
So the plague of hell comes. Now, don't miss in Revelation chapter 11, verse 19, in the seventh trumpet judgment, and then again in Revelation 16, 21, the seventh bowl judgment, once again you have a plague of hell. So you can imagine in an agrarian society, this is not like, we've, we've seen some hell here, and there are these little, you know, little ice balls. This is not that type of hell. This is a huge, this is like seeing bowling balls. And I mean, you can imagine if you ever drop a bowling ball on your foot, you know how that feels. It only went, you know, for me, it's about three feet. Maybe for some of you, it's a little bit farther. And it hurts, right? You break a foot. Now imagine that thing coming from the sky. So we're not talking about these little itty-bitty. We're talking about a serious plague of hell. And so as this is happening, of course, this is a, a terrible thing that's going on. And so, of course, as this starts happening, notice it says with fire coming down. That's a Hebraism, an early Hebraism for lightning. That's what it means. These are storms with hail. And it's interesting. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron again. He calls for them again. And it's amazing because Pharaoh is Moses and Aaron's arch enemy, but yet he's saying, will you guys pray for me and treat the Lord? I have sinned. He says, the Lord is righteous and I am wicked. That's how he responds. But this is, again, false repentance. People always say, well, how do you know if it's true repentance? I would say that true repentance is hating it enough to quit. See, Pharaoh is suffering from the, it's wrong because I'm caught. I just want to get out of it syndrome. And real heartfelt godly sorrow unto repentance is hating enough never to go back. He just wants the plague to end. He really doesn't want to be a transformed human being. And so he just simply says, pray, I'm wicked. And it's interesting. Moses says, I will do it in verse 29. Once again, when I've gone out of the city, I will do it. It will all stop. But notice in verse 30, he says, but as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. See, Moses realized that Pharaoh's heart is not there. He's like, look, I'm going to pray for you, even though I know you really don't fear God. And brothers and sisters, listen. That's the way we ought to pray. We should not pray for people once their heart gets soft. We should pray for them while their heart's still hard. We shouldn't withhold our love and prayers from people because they're not there yet. And why should we not do this? Because of the gospel. God did not wait for our hearts to get soft. He just sent Jesus. God did not wait for us to be repentant. His spirit started to pursue us. I'm sure there's people in here right now listening online. Maybe listening on our app where you're not, you haven't bowed the knee to the Lord yet, but God is pursuing you and God is doing good by you and loving you and drawing you. And there's people around you who are praying for you because they care about you. Nobody, nobody gets grace because they deserve it. Ever. Not on the day you get saved, not 50 years into following Jesus. We don't get God's blessings because we deserve it. We've never deserved it. And that's why God's people are always humble. Because the longer you walk closely with Jesus, the more you realize, I never deserved this anyway. Even after 50 years, yeah, I don't do things that I used to do. But man, like John Steinbeck has said, that the layers of a human heart are like an onion. There's always another layer and they always come with tears. And isn't that how we are? Certain things get worked out of our life and there's a whole new garden of weeds. 
And you go and you get them all out and, and it takes time and it's nasty and you're dirty and then a whole new set of things pop up and it never ends. And that's the way God designed it. God designed it that way. But Pharaoh, he just wants it to stop. And it makes me think about James chapter 5 or 16 to 17, just Pharaoh proclaiming his wickedness. It says this, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three years and six months. We've talked about that a lot here as we look at Pharaoh, about dragging our sins into the light, about being able to confess them, own them, let people pray for you. That's exactly what Moses is doing. He's functioning in a priestly capacity with Pharaoh, even though Pharaoh's heart is still hard, as we see there. Now, we move to the eighth plague, chapter 10, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons the mighty things that I have done in Egypt." And my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. And they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your father's fathers have ever seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord, their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, the Lord had better be with you when I let you go and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Now, locusts, again, the god of the crops. All the crops are going to get destroyed, so Osiris. Now, notice this. First, in the first two verses, what God is doing is going to function as a testimony for successive generations. Notice what it says, and you will tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons the mighty things that I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. We're going to see this coming up in the next couple chapters with the Passover, that this is an oral culture, and they want to pass down the testimony of what God has done in Egypt to their offspring. Now, parents, listen. You need to pass down to your children the mighty things that God has done in your life. Share the stories with them. 
Tell them of how God has moved in your life. I have little kids. I just, I just had this busting last night. I was studying this last night, and it was time for bed. And I went in, and I, and I, and I climbed into Obadiah's bed. He's seven. And we just started talking about the Lord. And I was just telling him some stories about what God did in my life. And I said, you know, you know, but I didn't grow up following Jesus. And I was, was a pretty bad guy. And he's like, you were tempted? Because he's learning about temptation in kids' church. He said, you were tempted? I'm like, oh, very much so. Very much so. And I'm like, and I wasn't doing good with that at all. I'm like, but God met with me. We had this great talk. And I was just sharing him with just the, the God stories of my life. And you know what's so cool? After I was doing that, Obadiah looks at me. He rolls over. He says, Abba. How can I pray for you? And I'm just like, this is the dude right here, you know? I'm like, this is my little Jesus, man. I said, you know, Obadiah, I'm like, you know, sometimes I get a little impatient. He's like, oh, yeah, I know what that's like. We're like, come on, come on, come on. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you know, I, I think God wants to make me a more patient man. And he's like, I'll pray for you right now, and I'll pray for you when I wake up. He's like, all right. And that's sweet, right? See, God wants us to distill that to our kids. Now, some of you in here are like, you didn't walk with the Lord when your kids were small and your kids are big. You still have a relationship with them. So you can say, listen, I didn't share with, these are the things God's doing in my life now. And they may say, well, mom, that's your thing. Dad, that's your thing. It's not my thing. Be like, listen, I'm not asking you. You can't believe in my faith. You need to have your own. I just want to tell you what God's doing in my life. God's, the testimony of what God does needs to be passed along. And all of us have God's stories. And sure, I mean, sometimes we want to rank our God stories on like a, you know, a, a sliding scale. But any story of what God is doing in your life is a, is a worthy story to be told. It's interesting. The Bible says that we're meant to be witnesses. It doesn't mean that we're meant to be attorneys. A witness just tells what they know. An attorney argues the case. The Holy Spirit's the attorney. Our job is just to tell the story. And it's great because all of us have a story. God has done something. And if we're honest, we all have lots of things that God has done in our lives. So don't be ashamed to tell your story. People always say, Pastor Daniel, I want to do evangelism. I'm like, listen, just tell your story. When people ask you how your day is going, say, well, you know what? This is what's going on. Hey, I was at church the other day, and the pastor was saying this, and I'm seeing this in my life. Or whatever, whatever your story is, whatever your present reality with God is, just share that with people. It's completely unoffensive. You're not making them believe it. You're just saying, this is what my life looks like. And it's totally cool. I'm having a blast. So tell the stories. And we should rejoice in the stories. I mean, how cool is it that God's at work in our lives and we realize it? I mean, how cool is that? It's amazing that the living God is at work in our lives. So God wants the story to be told. Now, this next plague, this plague of locusts, Again, Moses and Aaron come in to Pharaoh in his court. He says, listen, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? That's a tough, tough phrase there in verse 3. You know what I'm going to do right now. You've been here long enough. I place the question at all of our doorsteps. How long will we refuse to humble ourselves before the Lord? Write that down. If you underline in your Bible, if you like that, you might want to underline that one. If you don't like it, just underline your neighbor's Bible. <laughs> Text it to yourself. Because for each one of us, we struggle with this, right? We struggle just to say, God, you're God and I'm not. 
How long will we refuse? And it's amazing because God says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. It's the same request over and over and over again. And now God's like, how long? What's it going to take, Pharaoh? What's it going to take? And he says, listen, if you don't, if you once again walk in disobedience, what's happening next? Locusts are going to come. And whatever the hail didn't take care of, the locusts are going to. Whatever the hail did, whatever's left, the locusts are going to come and take it. So it goes so far. They're going to be everywhere in your houses, in your servants' houses. You're not even going to be able to see the earth. The locusts are going to come and they are going to eat everything. That's what they're going to do. They're absolutely going to devour everything. Now, it's interesting. Pharaoh's servants in verse 7, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? See, now Pharaoh's counselors are like, Pharaoh, what are you doing? And I'll be honest. When your non-Christian friends are come calling you out on your sin, you know that you're in a bad spot. When someone who doesn't know the Lord is just like, what are you doing? You need to catch that. You need to catch that. I remember, and I tell this story, and it, I've told you guys some of my story. I was not in any way a nice person. I was born and raised in New Jersey. So you guys, maybe you guys enjoy politics. You see the way Chris Christie talks? That's the way I was. Just like without any filter, I just spoke my mind. I remember I had a friend, he was a Christian. He started dating a non-Christian girl. He made a lot of mistakes, and then she broke up with him. And we were roommates, and I remember he was moping around, moping around. Every single day, just a, he was Eeyore. It was the worst. And me with my total sinful New Jersey, not loving way, I just one day, I was just so frustrated. I was so tired of my friend being a grump. And I said, look, you were telling me about how great your God is and everything. And look at you. I'm like, it's just pathetic. Take a shower, shave, get it together. If your God's so good, then why aren't you happy? Then I was not a Christian. And I remember my friend just looked, just like looking right through me. You know, I, I, what's funny is that my friend, when I said that, he was so convicted that his total rebellious roommate who he grew up with would call him out in that way. And it was great because, I mean, what happened was he literally did that. And then he ended up, God did a great work in his life. He ended up, he was a missionary in Nepal for 10 years. And now he's back in the States. He planted a church. You know, and he said to me, he's like, the most convicting day of my life next to when I got saved was the day when you called me out. He's like, because I was supposed to be a witness to you. And you had to tell me that I was being, what I was doing, that I wasn't witnessing well for Christ, just in my actions. And the reason I bring that up is because I know that this is happening for somebody in here or some people in here. Where people who don't know the Lord are looking on your life and they're calling you out for garbage. These guys don't know the Lord. He's like, what are you doing, Pharaoh? You are making a mess of everything. How long are you going to let this go on? We're at the eighth plague here. So we're, we're coming to a culmination here. And if your non-Christian friends are calling you out on your rebellion, you know that you are standing on the precipice of disaster. So you need to ask God for the grace to change. You need to. So, so what does Pharaoh do? He, he's like, yeah, these guys are probably right. So he invites Moses and Aaron back. And look at what he does. 
This is the way the world works. He comes back and he's like, and this is in verse 8, go and serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones who are going? He's like, okay, so go. Who's going? And Moses and Aaron, in fact, say, everybody's going. The young ones and the old ones, the guys and the girls, everyone's going. And look at what Pharaoh says. He says to him, he says, the Lord had better be with you when I let you go. And your little ones, beware, for evil is ahead of you. Ah. <laughs> you see how this works now? Yeah, you can go, but you should be very afraid. You better hope God is with you. How many of us have gone to take a step of faith and then you get that type of advice? Like, oh, I mean, I hope God's really with you because that's going to be a mess. <gasps> and then fear grips our hearts. And then he goes, listen, just the men go. Remember before it was, don't go too far. Do it here. Just don't go too far. Don't go too far with this, this Lord thing. Now he's like, listen, it's scary out there. You're unequipped to be out there. Just let the guys go. And what did I say when we went through all this last time? I said, go all the way, right? Don't be afraid. Step out in faith. If we step out in faith, then we get to see God be God. If we step out in sight, we don't need God to be God because we got it. My prayer for us as a church and as believers across the globe is that we all step out in naive boldness. Because sometimes we overthink our position. We overthink it. When God says go, you just got to go. But what happens is we go to go and then someone says, are you sure you're supposed to do that? Because that could get really funky. And then you never go. You never take a step of faith because there's too many things to be afraid of. Why? Because tomorrow hasn't happened yet. And we haven't seen God's deliverance yet. Why? Because we haven't needed it yet. And the only way you get to see God be God is when we take a step of faith. And then all of a sudden, when we're in a situation, we're like, God, you told me to do this. What are we supposed to do? And then the Red Sea parts. But the Red Sea didn't part while they were still in Egypt. It's so easy for Satan to stop us from moving by putting fear in there. I mean, they had never been out of Egypt. They were slaves. They hadn't traveled. They were born, raised in that land. Like, man, God better be with you. There's a lot of evil out there. You might want to leave the kids and the ladies behind. Let the guys go. Let's see how they fare. We need to be naively bold in the Lord. Take that step of faith, brother, sister. Don't worry. If God has asked you, it's been said this way, if God has called you to it, God will see you through it. And that's a good plaque. And it's also really true. It's really true. Ask Pastor Bill about him taking a step of faith with young children and taking a step to plant a church in Vancouver, Washington. First Sunday, maybe no one's going to be there. 350 people were there. He took a bold step of faith. God has blessed him. You read any missionary biography, and I encourage you to. People like Adoram Judson, John Patton. I mean, someone like Gladys Elwood, she couldn't get sent by any missions agency because she didn't have an education, and she was a house cleaner, but she felt called to China. Nobody would send her, so what did she do? She saved up her money, and she bought herself a one-way train ticket to China. Jesus is The meaning of life is a question as old as the stars. People have been asking this question for thousands of years, and yet the answer is all around us. 
To understand the meaning and purpose of life, you must have a personal relationship with Jesus. And then God will open the doors for you to walk with Him and serve Him. There are at least two things that every Christian should be doing. First, worshiping God with everything they have and are. And second, telling other people about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is real. I realize that worshiping God is easier than telling other people about it. There's no condemnation. It can be scary, but each one of us has unique roles to play. And one of the things you can do to help get the gospel out is to partner with somebody who wants to tell them. Now listen, I want you to pray about partnering with Jesus' Real Radio to get the gospel out over the radio airwaves. I believe that God has called me to proclaim the gospel, and I am a radio missionary. God wants to tell the entire world that Jesus is real. So I'm asking you to seek the Lord about partnering with us here at Jesus is Real Radio in this missionary endeavor. With your help, we will continue to expand and reach the nations with the message that Jesus is real. Here is Josh with information you need to partner with us in this missionary work. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Yes, we do ask that you pray about partnering with us here at Jesus is Real. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the Partner option from the main menu. There you can give a one-time gift or support Jesus Is Real Radio on a monthly basis. Again, to support Jesus Is Real Radio, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. And don't forget to join us next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through God's Word right here on Jesus Is Real Radio.